Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am your co-host, Chris Papa. I'm alone right here. I'll just me and Julio. Say hi, Julio. Julio doesn't talk. Oh, there he goes. Uh, we're excited to launch the Impact Real Estate Podcast Summer Series, where we bring back some of our favorite interviews from the previous iteration of this podcast. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to be reintroducing you to some of the titans of our industry with the hope that their stories will continue to impact all of you. As always, any love you can send the podcast via like, share, comment, or review across iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or the jacksonlucas.com website is always appreciated. For now, thanks for tuning in and have a great summer. Today we have a very special guest, Jessica Smith. Jessica is the Chief Operating Officer at Westlake Realty Group. How are you, Jessica? Thanks for joining us. I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's been, uh, I've known you, we've been speaking for the last couple of years, or at least I've been reaching out to you. Uh, I really appreciate you you coming on um, the podcast. Um, I'd love to, well, where are you right now? I, I know where you are. You're, you're, can you tell the audience where you're located right now? Sure. I am actually, you know, we're still quarantining. I am quarantining in Mill Valley, California, uh, where we live. And uh, it's great to, to be close to home. If you're going to quarantine anywhere, Mill Valley is not a bad place to be. I would agree. <laughs> I am uh, We're recording this on June 12th of 2020. Yeah, we're still quarantining. I'm in San Mateo, California, here in Mill Valley. Um, it seems like things are opening up a little bit, which is nice. How are things in, in Marin? Are they opening up a bit? You know, I'm sensing that. I definitely, we're seeing more people. People are seeming more comfortable and, and out and about. So it feels good. It's been a tough spell for all of us. So I, I see signs of life. Yeah, I love it. I'm seeing people in restaurants. I actually booked a hotel for not this next weekend down in Santa Cruz with my son, stay on the beach and stuff. So I'm super excited to do that just to get out, just to get, even just to stay in another, you know, any hotel room anywhere would be fun for me for like two days does he get out <laughs> Great. um so why don't can you tell everyone what uh westlake realty group is absolutely westlake realty group is it's really been a multi-generational family business it's been around for you know upwards of almost 50 years and it's it's a family office that owns a diverse portfolio of office retail residential properties they have holdings in Japan, uh, land, you know, holdings, and it's a full-service real estate advisor platform. Gotcha. And you've been there for a couple of years now, and your your title is Chief Operating Officer, which is a very that's a big title, right? It's a big job. Um, what I mean, you see that title. I'm sure people listening to this. I mean, people, you know, know what it's, they know the name chief operating officer and they, there's chief executive officer and there's chief financial officer and there's all these C-suite titles, but what exactly does a chief operating officer do? You know, I, I think it varies company to company, obviously, but it, we're a small shop. And so we are a very flat organization and there's a lot of responsibility uh, that we all share. Very collaborative group. I'm responsible for asset management, property management. There's some operations involved with the company that I am involved with and I work very closely with our CFO on the day to day. So we're, you know, we're busy just making sure that we are 
strategizing and, and watching the market that our fin financial reporting is buttoned up and that we're forecasting and that we're, you know, just creating a very motivating uh, environment in which we can get the most about, out of our employees. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a big job. I mean, so when they are just for people who don't really know what kind of the things you're talking about, like when asset management, so you're going in when you're when they're at Westlake, when you're buying a new property, are you involved with that? And then putting together like different business plans for the properties? I would be. And then, you know, asset management for us too, we have a development company called Westlake Urban. So we are very active in the development uh, world. So as part of that, you know, we're working collaboratively on underwriting for the properties. You know, if the properties are occupied and we're redeveloping them, we'll, we'd need to transition all of the tenants out of the building. There's, you know, there are a lot of different steps to uh, bringing properties online, acquiring properties, deciding which properties we are going to dispose of, you know, because they're not fitting our profile any longer. Mm -hmm. Solving problems all day long. Yeah. Is there any specific like strategy you, Westlake has? I mean, they have development. Do they do acquisition rehab or just? You know, we do a little bit of both. Right now we have a Hilton Garden Inn that we are actually um, building down in San Jose. We're using oh, wow. construction on that project. Oh, that's pretty so cool. It's our first hotel, our first foray into hospitality. We have been working over these past few years to really diversify our portfolio holdings. We're doing a complete repositioning of our uh, San Mateo office building in downtown San Mateo. So lots of different types of work that we're embarking on. And we're really watching the market, obviously. Everything that's happened with COVID and everything that will unfold will really inform, you know, what our decisions are going forward. Unusual times for everyone. Um, now, do you mind if we start, go back to the beginning, take the time machine back to, uh, where, where did, where did you grow up? So I grew up in New Hampshire, East coast. Yep. And, cool. uh, yeah, it's a different world. <laughs> it totally is. I grew up there too. Not New Hampshire, but another new, New Jersey. Um, now, did you have always an interest in, in real estate or where did, what were you, what were you like as a child and were, were your parents involved in real estate at all? You know, no real estate at all in my family. And, and like a lot of people that I have talked to over the years, you know, people fall into real estate, you know, back in college, there's not always an emphasis on real estate and, and jobs available in real estate. So my first job that my first professional salary job was back in um, back in the day mm -hmm. for a, a dot-com company in New Hampshire. I remember I was a 30th employee there and I was hired as an assistant to one of the VPs. And I, I remember getting my offer, my, my first written offer and there were stock options, uh, you know, Very and cool. Very cool, yeah. about all of that um, at that age. I was working and going to school at night uh, for my business degree. And, you know, I, over the course of almost five years, we went from 30 employees, I was the 30th employee, to almost 500. And it was right in that sweet spot of, you know, the dot-com start and the, and, and the end of the gig. And in that time, I remember I started as an admin and we were hiring so many people 
that the, I remember the founders came in and said, hey, look, we need offices in San Francisco and, you know, all these new locations, we are opening sales offices. So they asked me at 22 to go to San Francisco and to, you know, open an office. And for me at that point, you know, that was my first exposure to real estate. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure it out as you go as a 22 year old is, you know, it could be pretty overwhelming, but, you know, it turns out I opened an office in China Basin here. Uh, back in in the day when they were, you know, landlords were taking stock options. As, <laughs> oh, they as, were? I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they were. And so it was, it was a real fun time. Um, not a lot of limits, you know, maybe you've, you've heard about dot-com time. It was, it was crazy. It was, it was fun. Uh, but there was a lot of overvalued, you know, phenomenon and dynamics going on. And I really enjoyed learning a lot about real estate back in that time, I opened an office on Madison Ave in New York City, you know, just got involved wow. in a lot of things that were over my head, but I had to figure out how to, to get things done. And so that was my first introduction to real estate. And um, from there, you know, things unraveled. It took a period of time. And then did you, I, did you have any, did you have to learn a lot? So you were an admin at this, uh, an admin, yeah. <laughs> Working we're like, for we, we, yeah, we were like, we need to expand. Can you help us? And you were like, sure. Exactly. Well, we need space, right? Like all yeah. of a sudden, we need space. You're hiring 15 people a week in different parts of the country. You know, back then, that was when uh, Regis Office Centers was big, mm-hmm. like, kind of a co-working um, model. But you know, we used those offices. So I, I really had to learn trial by fire, and I, I loved real estate. You know, right away. What did you, what did you like about it? I liked working with architects, figuring out space, um, programming. I loved the leasing piece of it and understanding the deal and what you're agreeing to. And I liked all of those different pieces. I loved working with all the new employees that we would hire and try to figure out, you know, what their needs were at the time. And, And we were also acquiring companies during that time. So I'd have to go and meet with the company that we purchased and try to figure out, you know, do we close down this office? Do we consolidate offices? It's, it was a lot of interaction, a lot of moving parts. And I've always enjoyed that. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, so you were there for a number of years. You learned a lot about the corporate real estate and the transaction side. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to, I want a career in real estate or is that you kind of find your, find your place? I did. I I felt like I found my place. And then I ended up going to a company um, that was the exact opposite of a start, a start, you know, startup type environment. It was a a very conservative Boston based um, real estate investment trust. So I went from, you know, crazy, funky office space to brass fixtures and green, you know, green carpet, real real conservative. It was it was a pretty shocking uh, difference, but learned a lot there about the institutional side of things. And, and so it was a real nice compliment to what I had experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just had a great run there. 14 years. I was you, with the company. You were there, uh, you started out on the property management side? I did. So worked my way, you know, continued to work the ladder, so to speak, kind of unknowingly, but I worked my way in property management all the way, you know, through that process and then worked into more of an asset management and oversight role 
Um, I was with the company, as I said, 14 years, and they asked me at some point to uh, relocate to Seattle to oversee their Pacific Northwest portfolio, their Western California portfolio. Very cool. And so as a property manager, like what are the, what are the good, like the key skill sets for, to be a good property manager? You know, I think just being a, you know, people person, uh, someone who likes to engage with relationships, it's really important. You know, you you have to be organized and and all of those things and and be practical and have common sense is probably one of the (laughs) most important life skills generally. Um, And I think that having the ability to communicate is so essential. Problem solve. Did you have to learn more of a financial skill set as you got, like when you climbed the ladder, what were the kind of the, the skill sets you had to pick up or acquire in order to like become more senior in the organization? Yeah, I think for sure financial reporting is key. You know, you start out in those positions, really understanding variance reporting and, and building budgets and things like that. And then as you progress into more of an asset management role, you're really looking on a more macro level for a portfolio of ways to maximize NOI, you know, use maximize savings, um, look at how you're structuring the lease deals. And, you know, a lot of that sometimes is, is influenced by, you know, debt on the properties. There are a lot of other fundamentals that you start to learn about that will, you know, help you to oversee a successful portfolio. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it seems, did you, did you pick these skill sets just by, by working or did you take extra courses or do you have mentors or how did you, I mean, I think it's, it sounds pretty daunting for someone who doesn't really have a financial skill set. Like I want to move up the ladder. Like how do I, how do I get that skill set? I think sit, sitting at the table over, over the years with people who are senior to, you know, senior to me or were senior to me, I had a mentor. She's still my mentor, you know, that I worked for back in the day and just listening, observing, you know, active listening is a great skill uh, and, and kind of putting all the pieces together. The good thing is, is when you experience a lot of different roles and responsibilities and situations, pieces do come together eventually and you're able to see the big picture in a way that it's just not possible when you're, you know, boots on the ground trying to, to solve the crisis of the day. Yeah. So mentoring people is so critical, especially, you know, new hires and and people coming into their new careers. It's, it's such an important dynamic. Let me just break off on a tangent on that a little bit. I I, I manage a team. Um, you know, I'm selfishly going to ask you this, but like, how do you, what's the best way to manage or you do, you do give regular sort of reports like, Yearly, quarterly, I just, I would just love to know for myself the best way to do it. Yeah, I grew up kind of in more of the traditional annual review type, um, you know, mindset. But at our company today, we do much more frequent um, reviews with our employees, at least a minimum of three times a year, because, you know, meeting with someone once a year to talk about performance just doesn't seem to me anyway, you know, it doesn't seem to really allow for forming those personal connections with people so that you can just have a very fluid understanding of what the expectations are, 
where someone's at even, you know, in their kind of personal professional life, where do they want to go? You know, constantly making sure you have that professional intimacy with your employees, I think is, is really important and key. Yeah. Great. Um, now, so you, you started out in the corporate real estate side and then you went to your next shop. What type of assets were that? Was that office assets? They had, there were five separate operating um, entities. So we owned huge, there were over a thousand properties across the United States. So all different asset classes, there was lab, office. We didn't do a lot of multifamily or residential. It was mainly um, data centers, as I said, tons of office, medical office buildings. So a real diverse asset class, which really helped me to understand all those different um, classes. And, and they all had unique things that you had to account for. Yeah. yeah. Is there a big difference between doing office and data center? Or is it, is it generally, is it, I guess, what are like the main, you don't have to get too granular, but kind of the, the the biggest differences between like all the different asset classes you've managed? I think between those two, I mean, definitely, you know, data centers are huge kind of raw um, assets that run 24 seven mission critical, you know, a different type of um, use there that you need to account for different infrastructure of the building, different power requirements, whereas an office building, you know, maybe more vanilla. Um, and so, the operating costs for a data center would be different. Uh, you know, the, there's lots of different considerations for the way that you would structure the lease there. So I, I think those are things that you learn along the way, you know, for sure. Uh, you would market a data center differently than you would an office building, um, different protections there. So I love the diversity of a, a portfolio that has different asset classes. I also think, you know, you kind of mitigate your risk by having investments in different asset classes as well, especially when, you know, the economy shifts and, and there's fallout uh, that impacts these assets differently. Yeah. It, you must be like, do you have to like get in different, like wear different hats when you're like in every different asset class, like you jump, keep jumping around or is it like kind of the same similar type of workflow for all of them? I would say it's generally, you know, very similar. Real estate is, you know, it's, it's a lot of problem solving and a, a lot of the needs run the same, you know, whether you're, you just need to make sure that the properties are operating at their optimal and uh, that everything is uh, leased up and, you know, you have real strong cash flow and protections. Then, so you were in, you were in, uh, in Washington state and then you made your way to the Bay area, right? We did. We did. Is that uh, did you, I know, I mean, you went to West core which I, I'm familiar with them. They do mainly industrial, correct? We do. Yeah, it's a great shop. Um, we we were in Seattle and some things shifted um, with RMR, um, my employer, and we had the opportunity to either relo again with them down to LA, um, San Diego area, or after 14 years, I was able to make a decision to, to take a year off. And that's when we just decided personally to... You know, moved. We knew we wanted to get to Cal, California, so we made the decision to move to Mill Valley at that time, and that was the first time ever that I had taken, you know, that much time off. And it was really, it was so great for me. Uh, a little uncomfortable after working for so long, but yeah. definitely something that you know I, I'll always have fond memories of. 
you know, the day I dropped my kids off at school, my two girls, and mm. I had nowhere to go. <laughs> and I had no work phone, no one to answer to, and I drove to the beach and uh, just sat on the beach here, Stinson Beach, and, with my coffee and just breathed, you know, and it was, it was a pretty memorable time in my career or my lack of career. Yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I'm, I'm just, I'm envisioning it right now. Um, now, yeah, I mean, you brought up something with, with your children. I mean, is it, you know, as well as I do, like real estate is like, if you go to any real estate conference, it's like 90% men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is it tough? I mean, do real estate companies in general kind of understand or encourage women is, or, or is it like some sort of like unconscious bias where it's just like they train, you know, do things in a way that kind of discourage women from joining the real estate field. Any ideas on that? I know it's not like an easy answer, but. Well, you know, it's a really interesting question that you ask. And I, you know, I've been in real estate now for a couple of decades. And so when I started out in real estate, there were very few women. Um, I remember going into construction, you know, meetings and I was the only woman at the table and unfortunately, you know, today in, in leadership roles, it's still, you know, still the norm to be outnumbered. You know, I think it's improving for sure, but it's still a fact. You know, the company I work for today is extremely um, supportive of work-life family balance. And so I'm fortunate to have that. And I think that, you know, I think we're getting to a better place with, you know, shared responsibility at home with, you know, that whole thing. And I think it's going to really inform, you know, women's decisions that they are able to be present in the workplace and participate and pursue what they want to do. And, and conversely, men can take the time that they need to dedicate to their families which, you know, over, over time hasn't always been the norm. And so I think that we're reaching a different place uh, on both sides of the table. And I'm excited to see that. I think it's healthy. And, yeah. you know, I hope that we're, we're more open-minded as we go forward. Yeah, me too. It's great to see more women in, in the real estate workforce. I mean, I get re- clients request women. They want more diversity they realize that, you know, I think it's, I think it probably is an unconscious bias. I mean, you have everyone in the, every, you know, you're in the C-suite, but you're in your woman, but like, you know, a lot of shops, it's, it's men, right. And they don't, people generally hire, if they don't think about it, you kind of generally hire people that are just like you, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I think really- if, if, if you don't think about it. Right. And, uh, so I, I think it's great that, that more firms are actually realizing that that's an issue and that diversity helps them. It does. Um, so then you moved over to Westlake. Um, and you started out there in portfolio and asset management. And then how did you kind of, you were just, how did you work your way up to the COO role? And, and like, was there a certain, um, did you develop a certain skill set by doing that? Or, or did you develop a, a skill set before you did that, that kind of helped you become a COO? You know, it was, I think it was a really, it was a natural fit. Um, there had been a lot of talk about succession planning, you know, it's a, it's a, a family business. And so the daughter of um, our CEO and chairman had been actively involved in the company for a period of years. And, and she was really looking to complement her own role with 
a COO and a CFO, which, you know, she made decisions to do that and, and, and elevate um, myself and my partner. And I think that that was just something that we had all kind of talked about being um, right at the time to make that decision. So skill set wise, really, the role requires a leadership um, mentality that, uh, you know, I came in possessing. And, and so we just, you know, as a team decided it was good to make it official and, and path forward. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, and now are you, how are you finding things with, with COVID? Is it making it very hard to, to work remotely with your, with the people that work for you and like communicate with them or how have you been trying to maintain a, like a corporate culture and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, we, we all kind of turned on a dime for sure, but we had fortunately incorporated some IT infrastructure changes prior to COVID. So we, you know, we didn't miss a beat. Honestly, we were up on Microsoft Teams, which was hugely essential to our communication. Um, and then we had everything in the cloud. So, you know, we just kept on moving forward. We, we talked a lot my team members and I and our company in general. So we, you know, through communication, just, you know, plowed forward. We had to. I, I mean, yeah, we, I am using Zoom all the time. I haven't used the Microsoft one, but is that, you like that one? It's fantastic. I, I can't, I can't say enough about it. I mean, it's just the most reliable, clear, effective tool I've used. If we had to go back, we kind of joked, you know, going into call-in numbers, lines were busy during, you know, the beginning of COVID, everybody was, everything was jammed up. So it was, yeah. it was great to have this. That's great. Um, and how about the actual real estate portion of it? Are you, is there a lot of problems or not problems, but like adjustments you've had to make to try to work things out? I mean, I'm sure some tenants, you know, or can't pay rent or whatever. Is how, How's that going? You know, for us, it's going remarkably well. It's, you know, it's not perfect, but we were able to have some real strong collections on rent um, over the, our entire portfolio. And we're working through some lease modifications. That's something that I expected to have to do. We did it back in the financial crisis, you know, back in 2008, I was managing a different set of circumstances with a you know, different set of tenants. Um, so we're working through that phenomenon uh, now and we're just watching the market. We know we're going to have impacts on leasing for sure. What we, what we don't know is that the market really hasn't activated again. So we're going to have to shift some strategy once we see what's happening in the market, how tenants are reentering, how they're thinking about their space requirements going forward, how much yeah. space need so all that's on the table we have a presidential election coming up so <laughs> yeah it's gonna be a, a fun ride yeah for, for me personally like i know there's gonna there's all the talk of change and how people are going to be officing and especially like initially going back into the office like our headquarters is in new york and we have like probably 100 people in a big open floor plan and so we're gonna have to like figure out a way to have you know come in shifts or something, but just in general, like going forward, people getting new office space, I think it's going to change a little bit. I don't think it's going to change as drastically as uh, initially we thought, because I do think there is something lost when you're not in the office. Um, but I can understand people who commute. I have friends that commute like an hour each way. And like, 
they would love to be in the office like one or two days a week, which would be great. So I think that could be something, but you know, people not being in the office every day, but maybe a couple of times a week. Um, and just the way the internet is now and how secure it is and how easy it is to just communicate without being next to someone is, is made it, you know, we'll change it a little bit, but I don't think it's drastic. My, my prediction is not as drastically as some people are saying. Um, have you guys thought about that at all? We have, we've made, uh, we've made provisions to reenter our office on a shift base basis as well, you know, come July. And I do think we'll see more of that. I, I think it's, it's been an interesting exercise because we proved a lot of companies have proved that employees can be very productive remotely. And I, and I think that's kind of by design what's come out of this whole COVID. I think, too, there's probably going to be a different feeling about, you know, that being closer to home, especially, you know, if you're in a situation with a family where, you know, leaving again and, and commuting five days a week, it's going to feel different after being close to home, being close to family. You know, you can't unknow that after going through it. So I think it'll be interesting to see how companies embrace remote work um, beyond just the COVID concerns going forward. Yeah, me too. Um, hopefully it somehow reduces traffic in the Bay Area. That's what I, that's what I care about. <laughs> um, well, thanks. Are you ready to, to get on the hot seat? Hey, sure. Let's do it. The Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities reduce turnover and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com, K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Let's get on it. All right. Question number one. Any books you recommend? I do. Real estate related or life related or anything? Not like real estate related, life, life related. I am reading what I consider to be a fascinating book right now. It's called Emotional Inflammation. Oh. Stacy Colino. And this book really talks a lot about the impacts that stem from living kind of in today's anxious, overwhelming, tumultuous world. Um, and all the, you know, the things that we are so hyper connected to, and it really highlights the, I'd say the connections, um, between body and mind and how we respond to stress overload and kind of our, our body's natural rhythms and triggers. It's, it's pretty intense. Um, yeah, it sounds great. But if you're into, you know, wellness and kind of trying to understand, you know, that body and mind connection, it's, it's a great read. It really is. I, I am. I may well check it out. Thank you. Um, how about any podcast recommendations? I think or I'm actually, probably- now that we're in COVID too, any TV shows you're watching too? I want to know. I need a new series. <laughs> well, we've all, my husband and I, we 
are probably embarrassed to say, but we got into Breaking Bad. We never watched Breaking Bad, and we just plowed through it over COVID. Oh, and, I wish I, I wish I'd never seen it, so I could have started it. Basically. Yeah, it was, you know that was some epic TV watching for us for sure. Yeah. Um, he, he ends up in New Hampshire too. He, ironically, so he does. <laughs> I'm a little bit biased for the podcast. I um, I love music. I love health. I have um, just recently become an advisor to music and medicine. Oh, cool. And it's musicandmedicine.com. It's actually, it's an, an initiative that connects innovative healthcare startups to musicians to help tell their story um, and facilitate impact. And so this initiative was... Um, really born of my husband founded a company called Red Crow. It's a, a healthcare innovation startup. Nice. It's a direct investing platform. And he founded it alongside Jerry Harrison, who um, is a member, founding member of the Talking Heads, probably dating myself um, music wise. And a lot of these healthcare innovation companies um you know, it's just amazing the technology that's out there. And we get to see a lot of these startups and what they're doing as they're, you know, starting their fundraising journey, um, you know, to, to capitalize. And it's amazing the stories that come out of healthcare innovation. And we just, because there's music, you know, involved through our connections personally, you know, this initiative mm -hmm. is a really exciting initiative that, uh, we're putting together a series of podcasts. They have not yet been published, but uh, it'll be a real, uh, hopefully a compelling series that people will enjoy. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for letting us know about that. Um, what do you like to do outside of work besides sitting on the beach drinking coffee? Oh, that, that's <laughs> things to do. I love spending time with my family, my two daughters. Uh, my daughters are 16 and 11, Taylor and Olivia. And I love spending time with them. It's it's really something that I can never get enough of. Being outdoors here in Marin is a gift to be able to really step out of your front door and, and be on a trail uh, or be in, you know, in the woods just kind of checking out. Um, I do. I, I've kept journals for 21 years, written journals. So I'm kind of toying with some creative projects, some creative writing projects for that. Cool. Not really sure what that'll end up as, but... You know, just like to branch out from business, and exercise my mind in a different way when I can. Awesome. Um, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I think I, I wish that I had had at that time earlier on in my life, like a better understanding of mental health um, and the importance of that. You know, I always loved fitness, right? Like physical mm. fitness, but I didn't really fully have the knowledge or understanding of just how impactful your mental health is in the big picture and in your physical health and, and how that all plays together. Um, they're, they're not two separate things. They're just, you know, so dependent on one another. And, and I think in the, the fast paced world that we live in today, it's really critical to, you know, pay attention to both and to make sure that wellness is, you know, is explored along both fronts because we have a lot we're all doing a lot of stuff mm -hmm. where we have a hyper con connectivity you know mm -hmm. going all the time and it's really hard to come down 
for some people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I, I pay a lot of attention to that. And I wish that I had known that earlier. That's why with my, my daughters, I'm really trying to instill that awareness early on in your life so that coping mechanisms are kind of put in place and you yeah. know, pay, pay more attention. Basically. I wish I learned that when I was a kid too. I'm learning it now though. Right. It's never too late. That's right. Yeah. Um, now what do you look for in uh, hiring people? I'm big on emotional intelligence. It's a really hard thing to vet out when you hire people. You know, I, I think there's the resume, there's a skill set, all of that's really paramount. But I do think the ability to to effectively communicate and have crucial conversations is is really important to me. Um, I think you can possess the intelligence, you know, the book smarts, but if you can't communicate, uh, you know, that can only go so far. Um, so for me, that's important when trying to determine a good hire, you know, how is this person going to communicate and fit in to the environment, add value and, and to be able to collaborate. Yeah, that's great. It's such an overlooked. Yeah. It's hard to, I don't know how you, I guess for me, it's, you have to kind of have emotional intelligence to recognize it. So I guess, uh, you must have it, right? <laughs> I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> Some degree of it. Um, well, Jessica, it's been great getting to know you and your story. Um, you're an amazing real estate professional, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you very much. <laughs>